0: Welcome to another episode of the Lisa Ann Experience. I am Lisa Ann and super proud to be here with you, part of the SiriusXM podcast family. Those of you out there that have subscribed and written me some great reviews, I really appreciate it. I'm thinking about bringing them on, reading a couple reviews to inspire others with maybe great review words, like things that people say. So throwing that out there, uh, Chris, it's been an exciting past couple of days a lot of great things that happened. But first of all, vacation starts. And though I'd like everyone to know the podcast will still be happening during vacation because I planned for all of you. I planned. I got ahead seven episodes. So even when I get back from vacation, we have a little cushion there because we, me and Chris, my producer, we want to be sure that you were covered while I was like doing nothing.
1: Exactly. You're even thinking of the people when you're going off and you're having fun on your own. You're still thinking about your fans. You're still thinking about the listeners. And that is what we love about you.
0: So I have great news to report before I leave on this trip. Yesterday, I finally got my clean bill of health that I am finished with medical appointments for six months. And I'll tell you what, six months seems like so long, but I will say a couple of things. First of all, Chris, once I was established at this one location, uh, which is about a 45-minute walk. I should have done the miles. I forgot to do that this morning. Uh, once I was established there, I was like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Each time I go, I'm going to walk a different route. And I'm going to scope out things and like take pictures and put notes in my phones, like little cafes or yeah. a sandwich shop. And each time I go, I'm going to explore and eat somewhere for lunch that I haven't eaten before. So I've been doing this for the last 11 appointments, 11 weeks. I've been doing this once a week. And I will say it has given me a, a just whole new bird's eye view of the city. I got to watch before all the spring flower bowls were in. Then the tulips and the Easter stuff came out. And now this city is so packed with flowers everywhere. It's just spectacular. And so my phone now is this like trail of no photos of me, but once a week, about 50 photos of things I've seen in this city that like, I either want to go back with my photographer and have her shoot pictures of me there. I want to go eat there. I want to show off to other friends. And then I also, I do things like I stop by the palace and I see if maybe Serena is there. Maybe Nate is out front. Maybe Chuck, you're not picking up on that, Chris, but that's Gossip Girl. Remember Serena? Ah. She lived in the palace. So and they're talking about Serena <laughs> Williams.
1: I'm like, I don't know who you're talking about there.
0: The only and then Chuck, Serena like, that i You're talking matters. about Charles Barkley?
1: I'm like, this is a weird collection of people that you're referencing to be at the front of this place. <laughs>
0: really weird collection. But I, you know, some of my girlfriends are really into it. So I always take a selfie out front of there. And I always say like, I checked, like I didn't see Chuck and I'm going to be late for my appointment if I wait around for Serena. So I'll try another day. But there is a secret gossip girl tour that you can do in that hotel. And it takes you individually to all the, like, really spots that were shot a lot or, like, big scenes happened in these shots, the library, the stairwell. And in the tour, you know, they're reliving the episodes with you. So, like, for somebody like me, who's probably watched Gossip Girl start to finish easily 50 times. Whoa! (laughs) Sounds ridiculous, right? But it's just... So calming and something else that I I watched 50 times Uh, this weekend, this last week, I got back round one notes from the editor, which is such a great experience in writing your book because you take the mind of someone who this is what they do. And also they're a stranger. So they're able to objectively ask you questions. You know, if you give your friends a copy, your friends have lived through some of these experiences with you. So maybe they won't say to you, hey, can you define this story a little more or Oh, that sucks or brutal. Can you, you know, so you're like, you're alone, but you're reading somebody's notes as if they're in your transcript with you and you're able to write them notes back, comments, resolve the comment, you know, all of these things. And it's a fascinating process, but it's, it's draining because this book, this book is going to really share things that I didn't share in my first book, things that were very personal to me that I just wasn't ready at the time. And then as soon as my life changed dramatically in 2015, I realized, wow, I just protected all of these people in my book and all these people are no longer in my life. So this is going to be a lot more of the truth of things that are the foundation of me and and how point A to point B actually happened. And so there's that. And then it goes through this crazy, crazy time. So I needed a palate cleansing. I was like, okay, as soon as I hit submit and I was out of my hands, I was like, I just need to veg so I go back, not to Gossip Girl, but to something else I've watched at least 50, maybe 150 times, Step Brothers. And I oh. don't know. I can't. Yeah. I watched that movie and I laugh like I've never seen it before.
1: Yep. That's what it's good such it. a
0: classic. I mean, before their Friends, the drum set. The, and also it's cast so well. So- there was that. So I was really quiet last week. I took but, Thursday, by way, Friday. By
1: the way, how, how did you find Wayne Federman's performance? Did you did you point him out this time?
0: I remembered right away because when he walked out, remember, he's a he has a seeing eye dog that's kind of like an attack dog. And a seeing yeah. eye dog is not supposed to be an attack dog. It's all like attacks everybody. <laughs> and so he definitely doesn't have a seeing eye dog. Uh, so there was that as soon as I saw him. And it also reminded me how old that movie is. Um, how much younger everybody was in that movie, but what a classic. So I was MIA and I just, I just grinded it out. I would set my timer on my phone to work and write for four hours and then get up and stretch for 20 minutes, you know, get a drink, like move around, maybe move locations, go from the desk to the dining room, maybe sit outside, maybe go up the stairs. Like you really have to do it. And I did that for over 70 hours over that span of time. So last week was brutal. It was awesome to get it done. And now I wait for comments coming back. And now I'm working on things like the photos that are going to go in the book and the blurbs for the book. And, you know, this whole little fun side project. And then to walk to the doctor yesterday, didn't see Serena at the palace, (laughs) did stop by though, and find a new sandwich shop called Manja that I loved and get a clean bill of health before vacation. Like, You got to be fucking kidding me. Kids on a roll.
1: really, really enjoy that vacation.
0: Really, really, really enjoy that thing. And I hate to break it to everybody, but I'll be enjoying it without you because uh, (laughs) I'm taking a full week of like no makeup, no camera. You know, Chris, I don't think people realize that when you look at yourself on your own screen every day, whether it's a Zoom meeting, whether it's, you know, social media, we are looking at ourselves more than we've ever looked at ourselves.
1: That's a great point.
0: And- I'm just sick of looking at myself. Like, I just need a fucking break. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just sick of it. So there's going to be a lot of fun to be had. And I'm really looking forward to vacation. I also want to remind everybody that it's a good time to get caught up on all your things. Dentist, doctor, mammogram, all of these big things. And also it's sexual wellness awareness month. So... STDs are going in the direction that I had predicted. They're highest right now in the U.S. They've been in quite some time. People out there getting their freak on, which I fully fucking support. But you can actually almost say my quote was, it didn't happen if you wore a condom. And I didn't mean that in a sense, like it didn't happen if you took a picture. But like you were the guy, it's a one night stand. The next day you realize, oh my gosh, this guy's a moron, but I was drunk. You wore a condom. So you don't have to worry about that guy. You don't have to worry about the guy the next day. There's going to be no child. There's going to be no STD. You wore the condom. So I tell my friends, it's also a great way to erase sexual experiences that were (laughs) made in a state of mind. I mean, it's happened to all of us. It's happened to all of us where you go on a second date. First date was great. You guys drank, had a good time, go to a second date. And you realize like, whoa, how much should I drink on our first date? That's why I don't drink on first dates at all. (laughs) Uh, at all, not even. Not no, 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 no. Because there were wait, my thirties was filled. Like after my divorce, Chris, my thirties were filled with bad decisions. And then, of course, you <laughs> know the one night stand. He likes me. You know what I mean? Yeah. He wants to get to know me. He's texting me for a while. He's butt hurt that we hooked up, and I don't want anything to do with him. <laughs> and I'm like, you yeah, know, I gotta stop drinking. I gotta stop Fair inviting enough. in the stray uh, in a situation like that. Yes, we've improved. I'm much older now and more responsible. I will be responsible on my trip. But everybody. STD checks, Planned Parenthood, no charge, just get it done so you can go out there and freak all summer because, Chris, this city is bumping. It's bumping so much that they've decided to tear up some of the roads so that people can't drive as fast. Really? Broadway is a raw it, street now. It's like we're living in 1920.
1: That, this is this is probably backlash after that Uber nearly hit you. That's probably what they wanted to do. They wanted it to be safer for you to walk around.
0: Yeah. You know what it is? It's the Fast and the Furious that <laughs> arrives here at like 10 o'clock at night and they ride their way around this. Oh, and at geez. first, you know, I got to give them credit. These are like little rich kids from outside of the city that are willing to pay the toll, which is actually money the city needs right now at yeah. $25 a car. So like part of us is like, it's great, but it is fierce. Uh, the road is like gravel. It looks like you should be on a horse and buggy. And the worst part is I have to ride the city bike on the sidewalk, which can be treacherous when people are like walking out of a store really fast. Yeah. You're like, but you can't ride the bike with no helmet. It's not a mountain bike. It's a city bike, right? So it's all this gravel. Everybody's riding the bikes on the sidewalk. Jeez. New issue.
1: City would have changed so much since I was there even a couple of years ago. I can't even imagine what it would look like now.
0: But I will say this, it is pristine, the grounds, the grass, the parks, the trees, the flowers everywhere, and it's cleaner than it's ever been. I will say this, though, before I bring in the guest. Yesterday, I was so excited. I was walking over for my doctor's appointment. I was like, this is amazing. I don't have to come back for six months. Like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And I'm just like looking around. I stepped in the biggest pile of dog shit. (laughs) Like, like so big that I felt my, I haven't stepped in a pile that big. Like I felt my whole brand new sneaker just slide. Okay. And I was like, all right. All right. Luckily, I know where there's always a puddle down the street from my place. So I just planned to go to that puddle, which I did. I worked it out, let the bottom get wet, scraped it on the sidewalk. Like I did so much work to not drag any of that into the house, but it did ruin my day. So a little bit of dog shit in the city. Uh, it was more common. I guess now I need to start paying attention again.
1: Yeah, come on, people, clean up after your pets. It's not that hard. <laughs>
0: Uh, my friends all think it was human shit, which it could have been, but I'd oh, like Jesus. to blame it on a dog because it was so much, right? And usually people with big dogs don't just let it go. Like, But again, uh, it's So like, clean up
1: after yourself, people. Clean up yeah, after yourself.
0: Yeah, and this is life in this city. And these are kind of the weird things that when they happen to you, it gives you a sense of normalcy. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, it does. That's why I don't don't miss Manhattan, to be honest with you, because of all the weird shit that goes on. I'm like, I'm I'm fine living with (laughs) you. So
0: much weird shit. I'm back to seeing dudes masturbate on the street on the regular, Uh, which again, I'm like, peace out. Things are getting normal. There's one guy that stands right in the middle of the street and faces traffic and does it. That's like a regular in my hood. You know, you get to know your people. They're like your strays. Or you get to know them. You make eye contact. Like, yo, I live here. Don't fuck with me. I will kill you. Um, but yeah, he just, like, when he feels it, he just walks out of the middle of the street. Everybody honks and goes around him. He just does it. I want to video of him, but I don't. But I do watch because I'm like, this is wild. And I just want to, like, he never gets run over. Like, this guy, and he finishes, and then he walks to the side of the street again. Oh, New York man. City, baby. <laughs>
1: man.
0: And, we're, and that's a little covid as well. Because I don't believe he washes his hands before he touches things.
1: If, if he's doing that in the middle of the street, there is absolutely 0% chance that he's washing his hands. Are you kidding me?
0: So to be a good tour guide of the city, you know, I've been out taking a ton of photos and sharing the city with you. And I do think if people want to visit, now is a good time to come because the restaurants at only 50% capacity are actually great. They're just not as crowded as they once were. They look like a restaurant would look in, say, Pennsylvania or New Jersey, where you're sitting and you're not sitting like right next to the people that aren't with you, you know, the table. But I will say this, if you are going to visit, this is a time to be more aware. Uh, Don't carry a bag, a purse, if you can help it, put your stuff in your pockets. And don't be alone out at night. That's definitely a word that even police officers tell you if you walk by them as a girl by yourself at night now. Like, where are you headed and what are you doing here alone at night, you know? And you realize, like, when they start having that conversation with you, they're worried for you.
1: You're really not selling the city to the people who haven't been there before. Between Marty the Masturbator and getting robbed at night all these things you're I'm just really giving not there
0: war. look there was a there was a tourist in kansas from kansas city that came in to see some baseball games and he got caught in the crossfire in times square and got hit with a stray bullet you know and he was like man i was having Jeez. such a good time till this it was two o'clock in the morning so we as new yorkers like what was he doing by himself in times square So i'm just warning everyone if you do want to come and enjoy it it is beautiful during the day just do a lot of stuff during the day and go to bed early like I do. That's the answer to New York City. Live like an old person.
1: <laughs> Fair enough.
0: <laughs> well, who isn't old is our guest. And the topic isn't old to my producer, Chris, who is going to replace the mailbag. Because I like we get to know Chris, we know that Chris has newly really built a relationship and bond with his grill and his new home. We also know that Chris left Australia because of his love, for American sports, but before that happened, there was a sport here that he loved very much. One of his very good friends is a producer of a new series on Amazon Prime that Chris and I binge watched immediately, and it was so good. Making their mark, this is Luke Tuncliffe, who he goes by Tunas. If you're talking to Chris, good accent. And this is like Tunas, so I could do the Australia pretty well. All about the <laughs> AFL all about the beauty of Australia and all the arenas. This has been a remarkable series. I want you all to dig into it. But for now, get to know more about it through our guest. Luke, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Lisa, it's an absolute privilege. I mean, I look forward to the chat ahead.
0: Well, let me just start with this. Uh, What you captured in this series, not only following the individual players, but the fact that you started shooting this series before the virus was affecting our lives, so I first have to ask you, how stressful was it as a producer to not know if you were going to be able to continue the production when COVID finally started to shut things down?
2: It's fair to say that what we initially thought we were going to be capturing certainly didn't end up that way. So yeah, back in back in March uh, last year, we started shooting the series, and it was. You know, just going to be like any normal AFL season, which, by the way, for for those Aussie rules fans in America who don't know a lot about it, it is a great game. But we started and then things changed really quickly when the virus hit Um, around about March the 20th over here. And we had to really quickly change what we were thinking and how we were going to go about it. And Basically, from then on, our lives became COVID protocols and how we would get around things.
0: Now, you actually did get to shoot multiple matches with no fans in the stands, which was a different approach because the American sports had already completely stopped up on March 13th. There was nothing. The AFL continued to go on in a different setting, and you actually got to be in a stadium shooting these matches without fans, which was kind of a very unique experience. What was that like?
2: Bizarre. I mean, we're, we're a sport over here that we've got big stadiums, stadiums that hold 100,000 people. And to go from 100,000 people to zero was really bizarre for, you know, for the viewers at home and for the players out on the field. You could hear every single word they were saying. And it took it certainly took quite a while for us to, to sort out how we were going to capture this because – Clearly, I believe the fans are the lifeblood of our game and pretty well all sports around the world. To not have them there definitely changed the vibe within the ground and on your TV screens.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Now I'm going to start with Chris's favourite team, the Carlton Blues. Uh, Who is your affiliate, Luke? Who's your favourite team?
2: Uh, I'm a little bit complex because I I grew up a Carlton supporter like Chris. Then I actually got a job at the Arch Enemy Collingwood Football Club. So I worked uh, inside the coach's box for four years at Collingwood. So I've I've got a foot in both camps, which is, you know, quite bizarre. And I've lost a lot of family over it as well.
0: (laughs) Yes, because that is how serious Australians take footy. Am I right?
2: Yeah, look, footy is, you know, it's an easy thing to say footy is a religion, but sport in this country and more particularly Australian rules football is a religion over here. You can't go anywhere without having a conversation with somebody about it. I mean, that's, that's why we love it. We're, we're unashamedly, and Chris will have told you, we call out in Melbourne, particularly we call ourselves the sporting capital of the world. Um, I know a lot of people over your neck of the woods would dispute that, but you know, we, we think that we bat really well in terms of high-end sports. Yeah, We have the Australian Open Tennis, the uh, Australian Grand Prix. uh, Obviously, we have Aussie Rules footy, numerous other sports throughout the year. So we're just sports mad like I know you are over there.
0: Yeah, but it's definitely different when you can see 100,000 fans in one stadium. We don't have that type of capacity here in the United States. We don't get that. It's a different energy than 50,000 fans. You followed stories of players. Of course, Chris comes up again because you followed his favorite player, Eddie Betts, who has a beautiful story. And the way this timed with what was happening in the world and things that unfolded for Eddie on social media, you were able to capture. How interesting was it for you following individual players? And then I love that they kind of took their phones at home and shot content for you, right? During quarantine, a lot of that stuff, I assume, was shot from them. So... What was it like really getting in deeper and knowing their families and knowing what their lives are like off the field?
2: Again, what we set out to achieve at the beginning certainly changed because of COVID. So you rightly point out that they were shooting a lot of content during, we had a 10-week lockdown period where you basically couldn't leave your house and the athletes were exactly the same. So what we did was we purchased them all a camera, shipped it to their houses they then shot a lot of content throughout that period where we couldn't get to them. We were we we're effectively in daily communication with them via Zoom and they shot this content, we get it back, and then we arranged it to what you saw at that point. But again, what we didn't get to see a lot of throughout, you know, it's a seven-part series. What we didn't get to do a lot of is go in deep, inside their homes. We did initially, and you will have seen that with the Carlton player, Eddie Betts, and his beautiful family. Yes. Um, But we didn't get to do that a lot because our COVID protocols here stated that we, outside people, weren't allowed to go into their homes for the majority of the season. So, again, it was different than what we set out at the beginning.
0: But it's still so incredible because we've all just lived through this same situation, right? You adapted incredibly as a producer. Director has to adapt. Editor now has to get back content that may not have been what he's used to actually dealing with, right? So you overshoot when you're shooting on your own to try and get some snippets. And I really thought the player's did an incredible job bringing us into their lives. And even though you were on lockdown, you couldn't just see them working out together in the backyard, using steps, using whatever they could. I've really got to know them on a more personal level. So that to me, you know, I I got through the second episode. I'm like, you know what? You can stay up for one more. Right. And I really loved it. I love the things that I've learned. Like I had no idea there were 196 games in the full season. I mean, that's an intense schedule for these players and these teams to be travelling.
2: It, look, it certainly is across a, a 30-week period. Um, there's certainly a lot happening. And, you know, as, again, for those that haven't seen a game of Australian Rules footy, it is a brutal sport. As you said, no pads, no helmets. And they run, on average, 18 kilometres a game. Uh, and they... And that's over a two-hour period. So effectively, yeah, they're running half a marathon each game whilst kicking a ball, whilst the tactics come into play. So, yeah, it's a a pretty brutal sport um, and probably the main reason we all love it
0: a brutal watching their practices. I was like, why would anybody want to do that? Just slamming into each other, going back, hitting each other. Uh, It's just so intense. But these men are next level physically fit. I mean, they're not only prepared to play the game and fight the battle, but the way they go out there and practice and the way, the way it rains in Australia, I've been many times, man, I would not want to be out there just getting beat on in the rain, but they all do it. So I learned a lot of things about the sport. I got more involved with the teams. And, and I was talking to Chris about it before you came on. There were so many things that really fascinated me. But one of the things I noticed is sponsorship. So in the US, we're just starting with that in the NBA, where we're seeing one or two labels, right? One or two sponsorships. The AFL has an incredible amount of sponsorships. Absolutely amazed me how many different ads were on all of their uniforms. How many years ago did that start? Do you know? Because that's got to be a huge earner for the sport.
2: Yeah, look, it is. And, And we are, you know, in terms of brands, we are a global sport in terms of brands wanting to be associated with the game. And look, it probably came in I'd say 25 years ago, wow. gradually, to the point yeah. where it is now. Like, this isn't a new thing for, for our game. Sponsors, are, you know, they're a really big part of keeping the game alive. I mean, we are a country of 25 million people. So we don't have the volume that you do over sure. in the States. Um, but we are lucky we have amazing support for big international brands
0: big international brands. I mean, seeing Marvel on the side of the stadium, I was like Googling everything and just looking into all of this. I mean, that was kind of one of the things that makes it really incredible. Now, what we learned about what the teams, the managers, the coaches do for the players was next level fascinating for me because these men are brutes and they go out there and they play hard, they practice hard, but there's a lot of mental game and the mental game is actually addressed. There were quite a few different scenarios that went on when it was the ritual burning day, when it was working on the mine. Tell me, did you know that teams did this? Obviously you did, because you went to work for a team, but we don't do this for players here. And I was fascinated by it.
2: Look our our sport is all encompassing. I mean, everything that, I mean, you've only a couple of episodes in, so I look forward to you getting right through the series. There is, you know, there's some amazing, um, Australianisms and quirks within our sport and our game uh, and which we highlight you know, throughout our series. So um, I don't want to spoil it. So I'll, I'll let you get to the end and then you can see some of the other things along the way.
0: I'm just amazed by it. I'm impressed. They're really valuing players. They're really valuing their headspace, right? Teaching them that the mindset is part of it. And that was just fascinating to me. So you came in Starting to put this project together, making the mark. You can all enjoy it on Amazon Prime. I'm three in. I will be done by the next time I talk to Chris. He and I will be texting over it, and we'll be like, "Oh, how far are you, Chris? You're at episode two, right?"
1: Yeah, we just finished episode two last night, but again, we're going to binge it for the rest of the week. And we'll by by the time Friday hits, we would have finished it. But it's 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 so good. It's making me feel homesick. That's the only thing that I'll say against it. It's been uh, it's been almost two years since I've been home, so. It's it's kind of hard watching something like that because it's it's a sport that I love it's a country that I love but it's a great documentary. One question for you though, Tunas, how did you choose the players that you wanted to to focus on? Because we've got some uh, obviously some of the biggest clubs in the competition are um, you know are being followed, but how did you choose the players that you wanted to to get on
2: the show? Well, firstly, we missed you back here, man. <laughs> Appreciate, <laughs> it. <laughs> Appreciate it. Appreciate <laughs> it. Um- Hey, look, we, we cast the net really wide. We, you know, we, we looked at all 18 clubs within the league. And then, I mean, our show is different in that where we wanted to follow six clubs, but more importantly, tell the story of an entire season through the eyes of six key characters. So we effectively cast it, you know, almost like a reality show. We wanted to have a player coming towards the end of their career, a young player coming up, a coach. An administrator we wanted to straddle all the different realms of our sport um, and look in a way you know, all of us i think on this conversation are you know, mad sports documentary lovers and you look at what netflix does with drive to survive which i just think is you know, a, a brilliant look at their sport um, and and they basically almost did the same thing they cast it wide you are seeing the off track action as well as the on track action and that's really what we wanted to show within our sport, it was also really important to us that we showcased all of our different states and territories within our game. So you'll see of the six teams, five of them are from five different states around Australia. So that was also important.
1: Yeah, and I I don't know whether this was just me being a part of the Melbourne bubble, but I had no idea that someone like Nick Natanui had such a strong personality. He was kind of the biggest takeaway for me from the first couple of episodes. He's hilarious, man.
2: He is. He's a rock star. And again, Lisa, for for your knowledge, we're on the other side of the country from West Coast Eagles, Nick Nui. So it's a you know, four and a half hour flight. And over here, we know he's a good player, but you never get to see him a lot. And what we wanted to do was pull back the curtain to his life. And you know, I think what what when you guys get to the end of the series, you will see that he is a legit rock star of if he was in any other sport globally, he would be the man. So I look forward to you guys getting to know him and and what he's about. And you talk about global. Uh, I was over in the States a couple of years ago at the same time as he on New Year's Eve. And, and within the show, he talks about he was uh, coming back from a knee reconstruction and he did three weeks of training at UCLA over the Christmas break. And, uh, and it was New Year's Eve and he somehow wound up at Drake's New Year's Eve party with LeBron and Ben Simmons, and he was like, "This is weird." And then the next day, he was down at Santa Monica Beach, and TMZ came down and got a hold of him, and he's like, "Am I, am I in the wrong country here?" Um, so that's what I love. Again, you'll get to you'll get to know the man when you get to the end of the series.
1: That's good. At least he would have had Simmons there to kind of introduce him to all these people because i don't know if you know this lisa but ben simmons was a very very good football player growing up
0: yes i do know this and i do the australia background all of it um so you come into this project with one concept and everything changes what did you learn through having to adapt because i was fascinated when you addressed the point letting us know that the players did play for half of their salary to play through this unusual season with no fans
2: Look, I'm not sure how many other sports throughout the world would have done that. that? Yeah, exactly. Nobody. (laughs) I I I think it was so important to keeping our season alive that the players, AFL Players Association and the AFL, which is our governing body, came together to find a way forward. The reality was our season was cut from a 22-week normal season back to 17. So we lost five weeks. We had a 10-week period down. We pushed the season back, so it went a, a, you know, a month longer. Um, but something had to give because ultimately the broadcast rights, like most sports, prop up the sport. And the players, to, the, to their ultimate credit, they took a cut, as did you know, the majority of, um, of people and staff that worked within the sport, that being the players and also uh, the media as well, took a cut just to keep the thing moving. And, you know, we were one of the first sports in the world to get back um, up and running um, as a professional league. So, yeah, certainly a lot to take away to the point where you may not know that our uh, COVID uh, manager over here for the AFL was, at the end of our season, poached by the NBA. So he now resides down in the West Village, uh, where you are, Lisa. And he's that's now amazing. running he's now running the COVID protocols for the NBA. So that's how much that other sports throughout the world look to what you know we as a sport put in place.
0: So to give a little bit about one of the first episodes during the, the shutdown, all of the gym equipment was given out to players to be able to use at home. And then there was a day where the equipment was coming back to the gym. And for some reason, Luke, I love this day so much because. When you talked about staff being cut, yes, there were less people, but all these players thought nothing of unloading these treadmills and bikes on their own. It just, it humanized them in such a way because the reality was they were excited to be getting back with their teammates. They were excited to be doing something. There's some joy and normalcy of that, but you got to capture that. And was that totally awesome for you to see it's a team effort in the AFL all the way around?
2: Oh look, it was amazing. For we were so privileged. That's the the reality was, as documentary makers, we were privileged to continue to be able to be given the opportunity to continue to film in what is you know, the most bizarre year, certainly in all of our our, our lives. Um, but I mean, the word that you just used then, which I really loved, was humanise. What what I hope this show does, even if you don't follow Australian rules football. I think you can understand the human stories and the human toll that COVID took on you know everybody right around the world. And particularly for these athletes who are really finely tuned to the second, for them to be told one round in, go and have a holiday for 10 weeks, but you can't leave your house, you know, that, that was devastating. And they needed to mentally, you know, try and refocus. And I think what we show within the doco is that there is – some teams and individuals that uh, certainly looked at it in a way of opportunity, and some teams that looked at it in a way that this is a pain in the ass. And you, you can really clearly see the teams that looked at it in the, in the positive manner because they got through it really, really well. And some teams just didn't cope and adapt. And ultimately it was you know, it was survival of the fittest physically. But I think it was more mental than anything else last season.
0: Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more. And to see them back out there, you know, when you are a team, you're in a team sport. It is such a part of your inner fiber to be with teammates and to be in a group setting, being at home. Something doesn't cut it. But there was a level of a positive message in these episodes of this that just really just warmed my heart so many players with just a positive outlook on how this affected them and that was really great that you got to cover that chris has a couple more for you since we're deep together in this series
1: <laughs> i like this I we like texted each players. other Isn't last
0: night and we were probably starting he's like i'm just starting it. i'm like yo i'm almost finished with my first episode it was so cool
1: <laughs> it was the best but i want to go back to something that you were saying a couple of minutes ago tunas and that was the fact that australian rules football was pretty much the first sport to to come back after no one had sport for so many months. And the fact that it was the first sport to come back meant that the game really grew in America. And a lot of Americans, I saw over social media every week, a lot of people were discovering the sport and falling in love with it. How much do you think that's going to help sell the game over here? Because it's available to anyone in America on Amazon Prime, which is fantastic. Do you think the fact that so many Americans had access to the game last year and are hopefully going to be carried over to watching it again this season is going to help the success of the show.
2: Oh, there's no doubt, Chris. I mean, we're what are we now? We're two weeks into the series being released, and the numbers overseas are, you know, it's just fantastic. It's it's quite overwhelming to be honest. And I think what for me, there was a moment last year when we did come back, and as as you guys know only too well that in America, all sport was down at this point. And Pat McAfee took our sport and ran with it on socials and it grew a life of its own. And I've got a, uh, I got a good friend in LA who is American, who I was at a match uh, uh, in the first round of the restart. And he was texting me going, it's three o'clock in the morning and I'm betting on Australian rules football. Who should I be punting on? <laughs> and he said, I'm in a WhatsApp group with 12 other guys and we're all punting on things that we don't know because it's the only sport available in the world. And I thought, this is it. We've made it as a sport. Um, I just loved it. And, and all of those guys now religiously follow our game. And I think it's AFL's greatest opportunity ever to really grow the sport to, you know, to an international audience. And again, I, I just think the, the human stories regardless of whether you like sport or not triumph in this series.
1: Yeah. And, and I think the fact that so many Americans did get into it and uh, really understand the rules, hopefully a little bit more than they did understand the players, all that sort of stuff certainly helps. But at what stage did you realize that you can actually make the most of a bad situation? Because I'm sure early on, You were were stressing out, you thought, oh man, this is going to be terrible. Was there a moment where you kind of thought, okay, you know what? This may actually be a great opportunity for us and for this documentary to be something so much bigger, so much more powerful than it would have been otherwise.
2: Yeah, I clearly remember March the 23rd, which was just prior to the first round, just before the world shut down. And we got a call from our buddies at Amazon in LA, um, and that was Tyler Byrne and CJU, who were such great supporters of this project. And they said, "Hard to hard to make this phone call, but we have two hundred productions around the world, and we've just shut all of them down. And we're ringing to tell you you need to pack down. The show's off. And you know it was it was a devastating moment for us. Our director Gil Marsden uh, has lived in." He lived in LA for the last 15 years. He was in the process of moving his family out to Melbourne for this exact show, and we were just told it's over. And it was utter devastation. But at the same time, what we had to do really quickly was find a way forward and and work with work with the AFL, work with their protocols guys, and come up with something that was that compelling to Amazon Prime to say, we can get back on this and do it safely. And, you know, we are able to do that. And once we got the green light again for them to say, okay, you're back up and running. And, you know, as I said, 200 productions worldwide, we were one of the first around the world to get back up as a production. Uh, I knew then we had a really special opportunity to tell a story that nobody else will ever be able to tell. And, you know, in 20, 30, 40, 50 years' time, when our kids or grandkids are saying, what was COVID? What was that year that you, you, know, you worked from home for an entire year, what was that all about? We now have a seven episode series that acts as a time capsule to you know, the sport of Aussie rules football, but also to the world and what was going on you know, throughout, that, throughout that period.
0: I mean, everything that was going on, you even, you know, I did not know that the AFL was representing and standing in solidarity with the United States. Uh, We were having, you know, we had protests, we had Black Lives Matter, we had, and everything was covered in this series. And also it directly affected Eddie Betts because he would get hit on social media with negative uh, racial attacks. And I loved his conversations that he was starting to have with other players because he didn't want players to feel uncomfortable talking about it. He actually wanted to talk about it all, all the way down to a coach speaking and talking about, Hey, if you see someone, a family member, a mother, a father saying something that is racist, it is up to you to be stand tall and tell them that is inappropriate and it's not right. And, you know, there's just so many messages of the real life we actually just lived for a year.
2: Look, it's so true, Lisa. I mean, Eddie Betts is, he's just a beautiful man. Um, He, for those that aren't aware, he's an Indigenous Australian. He's been an icon of our game for 16 or 17 years. Um, He is a magician on the field. When he has a ball in hand, you'd pay anything to watch him play. Um, But he's just been so unfairly taunted over the years on social media um, because of because of his background, and it's just been so unfair. And he saw this as an opportunity to really, really try and shine a light on racism in this country. But then at the same time, the Black Lives Matter movement started at the same time, and that really really impacted him deeply as well. And to the point where he and all of the other AFL players bandied together and their stance, as you will have seen in uh, episode two, when they they took a knee yep. and wore black black, black t shirts in the warm up, up. Yep. like that was a result of the players' voice saying, "No, we are standing up not just for injustices here in Australia, but for everything that's happening in the world right now, yeah. and particularly what's going on in America." So, I think it's something that we as a as a country and you know more specifically the sport of AFL are. I'm really proud of, really proud of.
0: And they should be. And I will say this. You found a space where we in the U S right now, were really longing for new TV shows, right? Cause a lot of our productions just started back up. Then they had to shut down again and they haven't really started back up. So this lands the ideal time where a ton of my friends are like, I don't have any new content. What do I have? So last night the mass text went out and I said, do you love sunsets? Do you love Australia? Do you want to have a, a tour of the country, of all the greatest stadiums in the entire country? We go to the Gold Coast, we go to Perth, we go to Melbourne, Brisbane, Sydney, Adelaide. And, and there were so many, and this beautiful sunsets in Australia, which I've seen myself, which are amazing. But there's so much that you touch on that's magical for the just curious person. And then there's the sports fan like myself who always wants to learn about another sport, gets the opportunity to get this real bird's eye view and then an intimate interaction with these players and understanding the makeup of what goes into it and their lives. It's just fabulous. I absolutely loved it so far. Only three episodes in, I will be finishing my four, making their mark available to all of you on Amazon Prime. Give it a look. You're going to learn a lot. I have notes and notes. There's so many things. Like I was just... Notepads was my first note. (laughs) Notepads. And sponsors on jerseys all over. Wow. And then it was like, these sunsets are amazing. Like, and then 196 games. Like there's just a lot you can learn about this sport by watching this series. And also you're going to really feel what we all felt last year. And it was great to see people still out doing something. Luke.
2: Uh, yes. And look, I really appreciate you know your support of this show and the fact that you, you're going to get through it. And again, I, I haven't mentioned our team, like our team as a production would just, Absolutely incredible to be able to pivot so quickly, see the opportunity, and lift and rise. You know, as I mentioned, our director Gil Marsden, our other executive producers in Michael Venables and Cos Cardone, just such. I think as a, you know, I think we said before that we Melbourne is the sporting capital of the world, we also think we go right in terms of making TV as well. Um, You know, we're all massive watchers of American sport over here. but we also think that we go alright, and so hopefully people, you know, enjoy that story um, that we're just talking about. But I've got a question for you, Lisa, if that's alright. Yeah, of course. It's ask away. So, as a Cowboys fan, <laughs> do you think any of your roster could transition to play Aussie Rules football?
0: I do not. Uh, I do <laughs> not know many uh, American football players that could do it. Uh, the size of
1: just the punters.
0: Yeah, you're right. And you know what? That's why, and McAfee, (laughs) who, who you had mentioned, and I'm a big fan of Pat McAfee. And I do remember when he was like playing the games on the screen, they were talking about betting the games. He just amazing, but uh, maybe the punters, but it is, it's a brutal sport And here. You know, you got to remember something, we, are, we got helmets, we got pads, we have all these protective devices. I don't really know how comfortable players would be, how tough they really are without all of that gear.
2: I've got three for you. I've got Julian Edelman, Juju, and OBJ. They're the three that I think, without pads, would have the speed, clearly the ball handling they would need to work on. But I would love to see them have a go. It's, it's funny, we had Cam Newton down here three or four years ago um, on a promotional tour
0: and he spent two
2: weeks, two weeks inside the Richmond football club. And Richmond was the team that won our premiership, your Super Bowl last year. And watching him across a two week period, our ball, for those that aren't aware, is an oval ball. And when you need to bounce it in our game and when you bounce it, invariably it doesn't come back to you. Um, It's not like a boomerang unless you really know what you're doing. And, Watching Cam, that first training session he had at Richmond, the ball was going everywhere. But by the end of the second week, he'd learnt a lot. So I still think there's hope. And I'd love to see an NFL player come out here and try. Like we've done with um, American basketballer Mason Cox, um, who's come out here and he's he's now, he's 207 centimetres or something like that. He's a NCAA basketballer. Now he's playing our game at the highest level. It's I mean, it's just, it's, it's great for our sport.
0: This makes sense to me because where I think our football players would lack is in the value of jumping, right? Because you really want to try and jump as high as you can to have the advantage to grab the ball, right? So I think an NBA player would have more lift because they're used to that. Look, our players are bulkier. They're heavier. So they're not going to be as dynamic to be able to have the movement that the players do in the AFL. They're incredibly fit, but they're also more on the lean side because of how agile they have to be to play the sports successfully.
2: Yeah, look, it's so true. It, our sport is more more lent to basketball converts. You know, within the NBA, we've got Matthew Deliver Dover, Ben Simmons, Joey Ingles, who, by the way, how good's Joey Ingles going at the moment for the Jazz? <laughs> yes. um, those three guys... They've got the ability and and played Aussie rules football as juniors at the same time they were playing basketball. So they, they've got the skills and the attributes to transition across to a sport like ours. So certainly as a sport, you know, we are a professional league down here and our scouts actively target American colleges for those Smart. players that in in basketball, football, even volleyball, those guys that don't make it to the pros and see if we can you know see if we can get them down under
0: oh man and they must love it when they come there uh, going through this I'd like you to know Luke I put a list together while I was watching the series of the places that I've been so I've visited Gold Coast Perth and Adelaide once I've been to Brisbane Sydney and Melbourne both twice I love Australia
2: well my question is, Which was your favorite? And (laughs) you better have a one-word answer starting with M.
0: Oh, you know it's Melbourne, right? But I will say this. I stayed in Sydney on the water while the Vivid Light Show was going on. So for a week, I made sure I was in my room, ordered dinner, and watched this light show with fireworks because it was kind of cold and windy, but it was beautiful and I could still hear the music. So that's kind of a remarkable experience. I was like, what do you mean? And I look out my window and I see this whole light show, but I have friends in Melbourne. So I will say Melbourne as well. We look forward to getting all of my listeners to enjoy this, learn about the AFL so we can talk about it this season. Chris, maybe this year we'll place some bets, just some friendly wagers. Let's
1: do it. I'm in hundred percent.
0: Luke, thanks so much for your time today. Everybody go out there and make some time to enjoy making their mark on Amazon Prime.
2: Lisa, Chris, thanks so much.
0: so many things that I loved about this series making their mark on Amazon Prime. First of all, my love for Australia and the sense of pride I had as I checked off the cities, Chris, that I visited at the times yep. that I'd been there twice to Brisbane, twice to Melbourne. Um, and, you know, it's just great. But I was amazed by so many things. And some of the things I brought up to your friend, Tess. But for you, I want to start back at your very first experience watching AFL because you don't, it's different. If you were born in the U.S. and you watched football and you had these rules in your mind of what football is, or you watch soccer, you still would not be able to put two and two together and truly understand the AFL right off the bat. But when you're born and raised for a sport, AFL, what's that like? How old were you and what did you love about it?
1: I've been watching it for as long as I can remember. I think ever since I was a baby, my dad was sitting in front of games watching it. So I don't actually have a first experience of watching games because it's been around so long. If you have a look at a lot of my baby pictures, I'm wearing a Carlton jumper. That's just what I wear in probably 50 to 70% of all of my baby photos. That's how diehard my dad is and now how diehard I am.
0: So let's stop there. Yeah. Was that his team and did you adopt the team and did you keep the team through your life?
1: Yes, that was dad's team. That was his dad's team. That was his dad's team. So this has been a generational kind of team for our family. Thankfully, we've we've followed that on. Uh, Unfortunately we've been terrible for the past 20 years we've success- historically my team has been the most successful team in the league they had a lot of success throughout the 70s and throughout the 80s then i come along we went in 95 i was 4 i was almost 5 but i was 4 and 10 months so i didn't quite remember it and then we've been pretty much trashed for the last 20 years. So it's it's not a great time to be a Carlton supporter. But yeah, that's that's a hundred percent a family team.
0: Okay, so that's a very similar time frame as the Dallas Cowboys. If you're da- Dallas Cowboys were America's team, I mean 70s, 80s, early 90s, but we haven't been that in a long time. And you don't leave a team that was part of the family legacy. You wait it out. You know, it's like the stock market. You're feeling like we've gotta get good. Now, where was your first live game, what arena or stadium? Or would, you call for, what do you call them? I forget. Stadium. Stadiums. We yeah. call
1: them stadiums. It would probably be again. I think I probably went before I could even remember. Wow. It was probably Carlton's home ground, Princess Park. Okay. That was probably that was where they played the majority of their games in the nineties before they kind of stopped playing at those smaller boutique stadiums because those stadiums would normally hold fifteen, twenty, twenty-five thousand 25,000 people, sometimes not even that. But now because the game has grown so big, they only really play at either the MCG or Marvel Stadium, and the MCG holds just about 100,000 people. That's so wild to me. Yeah. When I first and- was
0: getting these stats watching this documentary se- series – not only the size of the stadiums, but also the amount of games played in a season. Like there were so many things that blew me away because I'm coming from the perspective of an American sports watcher. The size of the stadium, I mean, taking a kid to a stadium that big has to be like so stressful.
1: Probably, but a lot of people do it because it's it's part of the culture. It's part of your life. You do it because you love it. So I've been going to games ever since I was a kid. Obviously, it was much more intimate when you go to those local twenty to 25,000, yeah. yeah. It's mostly your own fans, whereas when you go to the MCG or when you go to Marvel, it's a mixture of both. And it's obviously harder to fill unless it's a big rivalry like a Carlton or Collingwood or Collingwood-Nesson or Richmond and Carlton, something like that, you're going to get 80,000, 90,000. But if it's Carlton versus an interstate team, you might only get 25,000, 30,000. And in a stadium that can fill 100,000, It just doesn't have that same impact. Oh,
0: mind blowing. So, did you play when you were young?
1: So, we have a program when you're probably about four, five, six called Ozkick, which is essentially like Little League where you kind of just learn skills. Ozkick. What a
0: great name! Ozkick. Okay, and all kids do it. All kids do it.
1: Most kids, like I'd say 90, 95% of kids, just go out, you learn the skills. You play a game. I think you you train for like an hour a week. Mostly, Most of it is skills. Then you play a 10, 15-minute game at the end. I did that. Didn't continue on afterwards. I was too invested in tennis and basketball. They were the two sports that I was better at. And I was also not quite courageous enough to play the game. Because if anyone has seen any clips whatsoever of Australian football, you kind of have to have some balls and I just, I didn't have that growing up. Still yeah, well, done.
0: obviously, you know, people, when you, when you watch this, this series, you're going to realize and remember that there's no pads, which is always something like when I first started, when I watched my first AFL match, watch footy in, in Australia, that's my first thing is like, I need to know what's the grass like, uh, there's no pads, how often is their skin just ripped off their body, then watching them practice and just, you have to be, willing to be banged up all the time and that's something that you can maneuver around in basketball or tennis right you could still get injured still be sore but the likelihood of just crashing and with such violence uh is uh very very strong so you were smart to want to pursue protecting your noggin
1: yeah and the difference between say australian and american football as well isn't just the fact that they don't wear pads It's the fact that Australian football is a 360-degree game. You can get hit from any angle at any time. In American football, you know where the contact's coming from. It's on the other, other side of the line of scrimmage. You're probably running towards it, or it's running towards you. You know exactly where you're going to get hit from. Australian football, if the ball's in the air and you're trying to go up to take a mark, that's what we call a catch. That's why... The documentary is called making their markets A play on, on that word.
0: Makes perfect sense. When you're going up to
1: take a mark. Yeah. When you're going up to take a mark, you could get hit from behind the side, front on, you really have no idea where the contact's coming from. So it's, Uh, and and you can also get hit really fit.
0: You would uh, really fit. You also can get hit from all of the directions you just mentioned at one time, which could be incredibly (laughs) jarring. Like, you know, your body going in one direction or the other. There's fascinating facts. I mean. Definitely a good jumper in basketball is uh, very valuable in the AFL because when you're going up there to get the mark, right? But it is a violent, incredible sport. Now, as we watch this series together, you started to identify with the players that are individually followed, their life stories, their families. And it was interesting because... Your friends put this together during COVID and they adapted very well. And and it was awesome to see these players shoot content at home that was able to be used. What were they doing? How were they working out? We were all so curious what everybody was doing. Who were your favorite stories to follow in this series, Making Their Mark?
1: Well, I mentioned in the interview, my favorite and probably most surprising person that I enjoyed watching was Nick Natanui from the West Coast Eagles. He had so much charisma and he was so funny. And coming from Melbourne, where we only really care about the Melbourne teams, we're in like a bit of a bubble down there. We don't really hear about players from interstate. We never really got to know Nick his personality. But being able to watch this and seeing who he is as a guy and how much fun he has it was it was really cool. I also liked Stuart Jew as well, the uh, the coach of Gold Coast Suns. He was pretty interesting, but I knew a lot about him. He used to play for Hawthorne, so I I kind of knew his personality a little bit. But Nick Natanui was just...
0: Oh, he's a ton of um, fun. He's the guy you want to hang out with at fun. a bar, a party, whatever. Yeah. So what you're saying is it's similar to markets here in the U.S., let's say with NBA. Yeah. Some players, we just don't get to know. them like, look, if Damian Lillard didn't make game clutch shots and also put out some good rap music... We might not know where he is or much about him because you don't get as much marketability when you're in certain places, right? So that's why you didn't get to know him. This really shines a light on individual players. Do you still watch AFL? And if you do, how hard is it to watch from the U.S., not just with the time zone, but with the channels?
1: I still have to watch my team every single week. There's no chance that I'm ever missing a game. Sometimes it's too hard to watch it live because the games are sometimes 5:30 on a Saturday morning or you know 4:30 on a Thursday morning and as much as I love them it's I'm just as fine waking up a little bit earlier and watching them on delay and then fast-forwarding through quarter time and yeah. things like that. But unfortunately, unlike last year where because there was no American sport on a lot of Australian football was on Fox Sports. And yeah. I think even ESPN had a few yes,
0: games, yes, And that got a
1: lot of American audience in, which was awesome. Sure,
0: McAfee was talking about it every day. It was, McAfee it was, it was loved like, it. We got real sports going on because they still did play when everything else was shut down.
1: Yeah, but unfortunately, and I'm not sure why this is the case, but the AFL and Fox Sports still haven't come to an agreement on on. Terms for this season, so there has been no games on American TV at all. I don't know if it's if they're still trying to figure something out or what, but I have to go and get my games from a website called WatchAFL.com. So it's a subscription. I think I pay thirty bucks a month. You can watch every single game you want. It's like a okay. pass. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but still I still cheaper I really than League Pass, pass but it's
0: it's worth it. It's worth the price of admission plus. You're supporting a product that's from where you're from. You're supporting exactly. a product that you grew up with. There's something to be said for that, right? And you're part of it. So that's good to know that people can go out there and, and watch.
1: Yeah. And you get to see Australian ads as well. So it makes me feel at home again ah! because I get to watch Australian ads. And there's there's still sometimes where I'll, I'll tune out for a little bit and I'll go, is that an Australian accent? I'll get really excited that I'm hearing an Australian accent. And then my wife would be like, yeah, we're watching football. This is Australian TV. I'm like, oh. Oh, it's got to be
0: great because some of the jingles never change. So yeah. you could go back. Like when I would go back to close to my hometown and I turn on like the local news and I hear the jingles for like the local car dealerships or furniture stores. I was like, oh, yeah. it feels so comforting. Also, you get to see commercials for Vegemite. Vegemite.
1: Vegemite. Vegemite. We Vegemite.
0: all call it Vegemite. Really? All Americans Vegemite. call it Vegemite.
1: Yeah, the, I thankfully I've I've found a place over here that that sells it, so I still get it shipped to my house regularly. I actually need to to top up. I think I've got about a top third up? of a jar left at the moment.
0: Could so. you explain to our listeners what that product is and what it looks like? They can go out and Google it as well. I've had it multiple times, but what is it?
1: It's a spread. It's it's a spread that you put on toast, or I'll have it on a fresh roll, or a sandwich, or something like that. But what the the, the um the thing that a lot of Americans do, the mistake that a lot of Americans make, is they spread it like you would Nutella, right? right. Where you think it's you have to put a lot on there, yeah, and you yeah. don't put anything else on there, right? It's just straight up Vegemite. That's disgusting. It's disgusting. It's a very strong, very bitter. Taste, right. It needs to be right? balanced
0: out with another taste.
1: Yeah, so you have to make sure to put some margarine or some butter on a, on whatever you're eating it off, and then just like a, a a light a light spread of the Vegemite, and that's all you need. You don't need to go overboard with it. And it's just, it's the it's best. a staple there. It reminds there. me of home, and I love it. And, and I'm not allowed to kiss my wife for half an hour afterwards because <laughs> of the smell, but. That's okay. It's it's worth it.
0: Americans are so freaked out by the color and the texture and That's like, well, what yeah. is it? You know, because if you put it side by side without a label, you would think it was a different version of Nutella because of the color, but it's not the same texture. It's so yeah, much heavier. It's darker.
1: It's, it's denser. darker. It's thicker. It looks like tar. Oh, yeah, it gosh. looks like That's tar. That's what it looks like.
0: But it is part of the culture in Australia, somewhere we both can't wait to go back. But this, this documentary was fantastic. Now, you still watch... Would you say it's your favorite sport, or is basketball your favorite sport?
1: So, my team is my favorite team to watch out of anything that I watch in the world, and this team means more to me than pretty much anything else in in my life. But as a sport, I could I could pretty much watch any NBA team, I could watch any MLB team, yeah, I can watch any NFL team. I probably wouldn't anymore watch any afl game that doesn't involve carlton that's changed because it was when i was a kid i would watch every single game that i could yeah because when you're
0: a kid you're a you this is your freedom this is something you're doing but you're also looking at how those teams are going to match up with your team you're a little bit more calculated like i want to know all these players so i knew who my team is worried about when this team shows up to play us our rival it is great that with mlb and nba i'm like the same Every team has someone that you cannot wait to watch, right? It only yeah. has to be one player to see, to want to watch that game. And there's and there's something fun because after having your heart broken by your team, like me with the Dallas Cowboys, mm-hmm. year after year after year, you eventually just want to have a broader, you, you just want to watch emotionless, right? You want to watch and just exactly. enjoy without inflicting any pain on your soul.
1: And I think that's part of the reason why I decided to move to the States as well, not just because I love American sport, but also I just had to get away from 24-7 courage of my team being shit because I used to work at a radio station, a sports radio station in Melbourne, where pretty much the entire time we're just talking Australian football. And because my team's terrible, much of my day was taken up by listening to my hosts and my colleagues talk about how terrible my team was. And it kind of just wore on me and I thought, man, i gotta, I got to go somewhere where I don't have to hear about this shit. And the nice thing about being over here, as much as I miss home and, and miss going to games and all that sort of stuff, the fact that I can only really see how shit and hear about how shit my team is for two and a half hours a week when I watch the games, it's kind of nice. As soon as the games are over, I can finish about it and go, okay, I don't need to experience this pain for another week, so I'm good.
0: Yeah, it's, it's soothing. It's why fantasy football holds me down during the football yeah. season because yeah. I still have other things that are going perfectly right for me. But everybody, I want you to go out there and watch this series. It's a ton of fun. It showcases Australia. If you want to see beautiful sunsets, you want to see how big and massive these stadiums are, you want to learn about the map. I think so many Americans have no idea how big Australia is. They also don't realize how far everything is. You know, it's kind of like California to New York, people like, oh, I was going to go to Sydney to Brisbane or everything's far. It's a huge state and a huge country. And so you, you get a great insight on all that. And I think there's so many visuals that people will truly enjoy as well as the storyline as well as learning about the AFL. Everybody go out there and watch making their mark. I want to thank Chris for bringing his friend tennis into the producer of the show. You can make sure you follow And watch the documentary. Everybody, don't forget to write a review. I really like them. If I came back from vacation and there were more reviews and more stars, man, you know how good that would make me feel. And if you already did yours, reach out to a friend, offer to buy them a coffee, listen to an episode together, and then write a review together. This could be a bonding thing. Maybe we start a trend, Chris.
1: Love it. Love it. I think that's the perfect idea. It's a great idea.
0: Everybody, I will be enjoying my vacation, but I'll be looking out for you. You're going to enjoy this week's podcast. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Lisa Ann Experience. The Lisa Ann Experience is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Chris Tyler. Sound design by Robert Moore. Andy King is the Director of Sports Podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. SiriusXM Podcasts.